I have made a lot of mistakes in my life. I wish I could say that they were all when I was young and before I was a Christian and before I was married and before I became a preacher, but I've made a lot of mistakes before I became a Christian and after I became a Christian. Made a lot of mistakes before I got married and after I got married. Made a lot of mistakes before I became a preacher and after I became a preacher. I wish I could say that all of my mistakes have been made only once, and after making the mistake once, I learned the lesson and never made that mistake again, but that's not the case at all. Most of my mistakes have been made repeatedly. Now, there are some of the mistakes and sins that I have made that uh, I think I might could say I have over overcome those. There are some that continue to be a daily battle, but uh, for the most part, I have been winning those battles on a daily basis. And then there are some that continue just to be a struggle, and I've continued to submit to them at times and still working on those. And when I examine that and think about that, sometimes it can be kind of distressing, a little bit discouraging. Sometimes I begin to think, why well, even keep trying? I do take comfort, however, in knowing that I'm not the only one who feels that way. I've talked with many other Christians who can express the exact same feelings. But even more than that, I can look in Scripture. And I can find people who did the exact same kind of thing. I think about those great Bible characters. Noah, who got drunk. Abraham, who lied, had struggles with his faith. Moses, who took the glory to himself and struck the rock. David, who committed adultery and murder. Sarah, who laughed at God's plan. Paul, who persecuted Christians and struggled with covetousness. And Peter, who denied the Lord three times. Let's stop there and think about that. Think about that story of Peter. Matthew chapter 26, Peter had declared, though all the other disciples might fall away because of Jesus, he would not fall. And Jesus prophesied, Jesus, God the Son, the one that Peter had said, we have come to believe that you have the words of life, you are the Son of God, you are the Messiah, that one, Jesus said, you'll all fall away. And Jesus himself said to Peter directly, tonight before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter argued with Jesus and said, that is not the case. All these other guys may fall away. They may deny you. Not me. Jesus, I'm ready to die with you. And he stepped out in front of all of them, put all the others down. All the others chimed in saying, oh yes, me too. But Peter's the one that stood out in the lead and said, I will die with you before I'll deny you and turn from you. And let's not tell Peter short. Peter meant that. In fact, who was it when the soldiers came to take Jesus away that pulled out his sword and got ready to fight? It was Peter. Peter was the one who drew first blood. Peter was the one who stepped up and said, I'm ready to die. Let's get the fight going. You see, as long as everything was going the way Peter thought it should, he was ready to die with Jesus. As long as he thought he was serving the 
fighting Messiah, who was going to step up and have a battle, Peter was ready to die with Jesus. As long as Peter thought that dying with Jesus meant he might be able to take some of the enemy with him, he was ready to die with Jesus. But the moment Jesus demonstrated that he wasn't the fighting Messiah, but a surrendering Messiah, the moment Jesus began to demonstrate that he wasn't going to rise up and rebel and fight, but he was going to sacrifice himself and die, Peter was thrown in utter confusion. He didn't understand what was going on. He followed Jesus and he watched from afar. He came around the charcoal fire where there were some soldiers and servants and they started questioning him and three times he said, I don't know the man. And he began to curse and take oaths that he didn't know Jesus. And then he heard the rooster crow. And the text says Jesus turned and looked at him. Can you imagine being Peter in that moment? The moment that the reality set in, the moment that you were startled back to memory that I said I wouldn't do this. Jesus said I would. I said I wouldn't. I stood up and said I'd die for Him. And I wouldn't deny Him. And here I've done it. I've denied Him three times. And there He is looking at me. How do you think Peter felt in that moment? Have you ever felt that? I think I have. But the truly comforting thing is, is that Peter's story doesn't end there. Peter's story goes on. Jesus did die, but on the third day was resurrected and he came back and appeared to his apostles. And they went on up to Galilee... Not as soon as he had said, because they didn't quite obey what he had taught. But after they saw him, they went on to Galilee, just as Jesus had told them to. And in John chapter 21, we see Peter and his reconciliation with Jesus. And if there's one thing that I learned from John chapter 21... That is, is that I can overcome my sins and mistakes in Jesus. I can have victory in and through Jesus. I want us to take a look at John chapter 21. And I've got several things that I want to share with you this morning. I'm going to be moving really quickly because I've got several things I want you to see here. There will be outlines on the table that you can study on your own after we're done. But there's nine keys that I find in John chapter 21 to help us overcome our mistakes and find victory in Jesus. Would you bow with me in prayer before we look at that, please? Glorious God in heaven, you are a wonderful, divine creator, merciful benefactor, loving God, and we're amazed that you love us. We're amazed that even though each and every one of us have denied you, and even more than three times, that you will allow us to come back to you and be reconciled and have victory through your Son. We pray, Father, that you help us to hold on to that, to recognize that there is victory in your Son, 
that we can overcome through your Son, that we can glorify you and we can become like you. We will, by your grace, help us to remember that promise. Forgive us for the times we've denied you. Forgive us for the times that our doubts have turned into actions against you. Forgive us for the times that our weak faith has caused us to follow our own path. Help us to get back on your narrow way because we know your way works, Lord. We want to follow your path because we want to be like you. Go with us, God, please, and help us to have our hearts open to your word that we can be reconciled to you and have victory through your Son. It's through him that we pray. Amen. The very first thing that I recognize in this text about having victory in Jesus is that if you want to have victory in Jesus, you have to come face to face with your sin. If we're not careful, I think we can overlook the very careful construction that John places upon this story in John chapter 21. In fact, in John chapter 21 and verse 9, it says when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire. That's what the ESV said. I, I believe what Ryan read moments ago said a fire of coals. Now, the word fire is used in all kinds of places in the New Testament. But the word that's used for fire here is only used in one other place in the entire New Testament. That's in John chapter 18 and verse 18. John chapter 18 and verse 18. If your Bible's like mine, it's got a heading above this passage and it says, Peter denies Jesus. John 18, 18. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Here comes Peter to the shore. And there's the very kind of fire around which he denied Jesus. But that's not all. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. How many times did Jesus ask Peter, do you love me? Three times. Once for each of the denials. Peter, do you love me more than me? Simon, son of John, actually, do you love me more than me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me? Peter was grieved three that, that the Lord asked three times. And I believe the reason Peter was grieved was because being asked three times brought him face to face with the three times that he said he didn't love him. Didn't even know him. You see, as much as we might wish that reconciliation means we can sweep those sins under the rug and we can just forget those mistakes and not even worry about them, the thing we need to understand is that reconciliation, victory in Jesus means coming face to face with our sins. God loves us too much to sweep our sins under the rug, to hide them in the closet, because those skeletons in the closet, all they are is are those little needles that keep needling us and pushing us, and we're afraid that they're going to jump out at the wrong time. All those closed doors in our hearts, that's just the part of us that keeps God from having all of us, and by necessity keeps us from having all of God. And God loves us too much for that. You see, God forces us to come face to face with our sins. Because He wants us to know that He has come face to face with our sins and loves us anyway. And so now it's our turn to come face to face with our sins and learn to love Him.
The second thing that I see here is that we need to draw near to Jesus, not run from Him. We need to back up to some of the backstory of this little interchange between Jesus and Peter. Look back at the beginning of John chapter 21. In verse 3 of John 21, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land but about a hundred yards off. This is an amazing story in and of itself, but even more amazing because it's a little bit of deja vu. You remember that back in Luke chapter 5 and verses 4 through 7, a very similar story took place. Jesus came to the shore and saw, or Jesus was there with the disciples, I should say. He was in the boat with Peter that time. And they had been fishing and had caught nothing. And Jesus said, cast it on the other side. And Peter said, we fished here all night long and we haven't caught anything. And Jesus said, do it anyway. And he threw the net in and in came all the fish. Do you remember what Peter said then in Luke chapter 5 and verse 8? Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. I'm unworthy. And there's certainly some lessons that we, we need to learn from that humility that Peter had. I think we need to have that recognition of unworthiness. I think we need to have that kind of humility. But Peter had learned some things from that first encounter to this encounter. And what he had learned was that despite his sin and despite his unworthiness, the answer is not get away from Jesus. The answer is draw near to Jesus. Last time he said, get away from me, I'm sinful, unworthy. And Jesus said, don't be afraid, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Here the exact same thing has happened. And Peter, instead of saying, depart from me, get away from me, look at how sinful and unworthy I am, Peter understood that the only response he could have that would be at all helpful was, i got to get near him. And he wasn't even willing to wait in the boat. He put his outer garment on and he jumped in the water and he swam to shore so that he could get near Jesus. We've got to learn to draw near to Jesus. Sadly, when we look at our mistakes, we, we sometimes kind of want to hold Jesus off at, at arm's distance. We just can't imagine that He would want us near Him. And in so doing, we put off our study of Scripture and we procrastinate prayer and we don't spend time with the saints. But what we need to learn is that if we want victory in Jesus, we've got to draw near Jesus. Draw near to Him and He will draw near to you. What Peter did. The third thing, and perhaps this is the most obvious, if we want to overcome and be victorious in Jesus, we're going to have to love Jesus. When Jesus had this exchange with Peter, the thing that he asked three times was, Do you love me? And that's the question. Notice, of course, that Jesus didn't accuse him of not loving him. Jesus didn't say, I know all the sins you've committed, so don't even try to tell me you love me. He just questioned Peter and challenged him and pushed him, do you love me? If we want to have victory in Jesus, we've got to develop love 
for Jesus. Jesus said, based on that love, he said, feed my sheep. Peter wasn't supposed to feed Jesus sheep in order to try to earn salvation. Jesus wasn't... Well, I'm getting these names mixed up the whole time. Y'all know I'm talking about Peter, right? I'll just trust that you'll figure it out if I get it wrong here sometimes. Peter wasn't supposed to feed Jesus' sheep because that was the rule. Peter wasn't supposed to feed Jesus' sheep in order to try to impress Jesus or to impress anybody else. Peter was supposed to feed Jesus' sheep. Why? Because he loved Jesus. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5 says that the aim of our charge is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. In Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37. The greatest commandment in the law, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. With everything. We need to develop that kind of love. We need to grow in that kind of love. And if you're struggling with loving God, remember 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19. We love because He first loved us. Because even when we were sinners, He went to the cross for us. Even knowing every sin that you were going to commit today, He went to the cross and He died for you. We love because He first loved us. We want to have victory in Jesus. We've got to do the work that the Lord has given us. There in John chapter 21, despite Peter's past failure, the Lord had a job for him. He said, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. Feed my sheep. He had to get busy doing the work of the Lord. It's almost as if to say, Peter, quit worrying about that denying business you did back then. Quit worrying about trying not to deny me and just get busy doing what I tell you to. And the reality is, if I spend my time doing the work that God has given me, I don't have time to do all those things that are my past mistakes. I think about Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 35. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one of another. If I'm spending my time telling the truth, I don't have time to lie. Be angry and don't sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. If I make sure not to give opportunity to the devil, if I make sure that I'm doing righteousness even though I'm angry, I don't give opportunity to the devil. I don't have time for that. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. If I'm spending my time laboring with my hands and being generous to those who are around me, I don't have time to steal. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. If I'm spending my time speaking those words that are edifying and building up, I don't have time to say things that tear people down. 
Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. If I'm being kind and tenderhearted and forgiving, I don't have time to be bitter and wrathful and malice and slanderous. You see the point? I can overcome my past mistakes if I decide today to just do the work that the Lord has given me. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, in Matthew 6 and verse 33, Jesus said, Seek first God's kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I'm supposed to seek first. That is primarily. Not the idea of the first thing I do in the morning is do a little kingdom seeking and righteousness seeking and then after that I can do whatever I want. But rather that primarily and centrally and foundationally everything I do is about seeking God's kingdom and God's righteousness. That is seeking His rule and His righteousness in my life. And I think perhaps the most succinct way to say what that verse says is the statement I picked up somewhere that said do the next right thing. If at this moment I just say, what's the next right thing? What's the next thing that God has for me that He wants me to do? And I do that. I'm going to overcome. I need to do the work that God has for me. I can't help but notice that when Jesus had some work for Peter, that work had to do with others. If we want to overcome our sins and our mistakes... We need to get outside of ourselves and start serving each other. Serve others. You know, there are a lot of people that are squandering their lives in misery and sin because they can't ever look past the end of their own nose. All they can think about is what victims they are and how awful it is and all the bad things that's ever happened to them and, and even sometimes all the mistakes they've made and they just think about how awful and rotten they are or maybe all they can think about is these few wonderful things they've done and wish they could just get back to those. But all they're ever thinking about is me. If we really want to overcome, we've got to get outside ourselves and serve other people. Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. Do you get that? He didn't say to Peter, all right, Peter, what I really want you to do is I want you to work hard on increasing your faith so the next time the test comes along, you'll pass. He didn't say, Peter, all right, I really want you to work on on you being a better Christian. He didn't say, Peter, here's the thing I have for you. You just need to get more mature. Now, don't misunderstand. If he's going to feed Jesus' sheep, he's going to have to work on his faith. He's going to have to become more mature. He's going to have to grow and become a better Christian. I know all that. But what is it that Jesus asked him to do? Focus on others. The story is told of a mountain man who had gone out hunting and got caught in a freak snowstorm. As the temperature was dropping and he was being blinded by the blizzard, his only thought was he needed to get back to his cabin. He knew if he could make it there, there was a warm fire waiting. But the temperature was dropping too fast. And he knew that if he didn't make it, hypothermia would set in. He would begin to lose feeling. His heart would slow down. He would fall and never get up. And as he tried to make it back from tree to tree, he did everything he could think of to try to keep his body warm. He would jump up and down. He slapped his arms. He waved them. 
But things just continued to get colder and colder. He ran, but slowed and slowed. His legs were getting heavier, and it was getting harder to be able to pick up his feet above the roots, and he stumbled many times, and each time it got harder to get back up. And each time he thought it would just be so easy just to lay here and go to sleep. And finally, his foot snagged on another root, and he collapsed. And he just didn't think he had the strength to get up. But there was just enough awareness to recognize that this is not a tree root I'm laying on. And he was able to pull himself up and realize that he had actually stumbled over his best friend who had apparently also been caught in this freak storm. And while he was not able to summon up enough strength to keep himself warm, he said he could not allow his friend to die. And so he whipped off his gloves and he began to rub his friend's face. And he began to rub his friend's hand. And he even reached up under his coat and began to rub his chest and his back. And the man began to get warm and he began to breathe and he began to sit up. And an amazing thing happened to the first hunter and that is, is that as he warmed his friend, he began to warm up. And keeping each other warm, they stumbled the rest of the way to the cabin. Two are better than one. Ecclesiastes tells us. Because they can help each other when they fall down. Because they can keep each other warm. Because when someone attacks, it's harder to overcome two people. And a threefold cord won't be easily broken. Sadly, all too often, we view the idea of service as just another one of those checklist things that, oh, I'm a Christian, I guess i got to do some serving. If that's why you're serving, it's not doing you any good. Brothers and sisters, we need to serve out of self-preservation. It's serving others that causes us to overcome. Serving others that allows us to be victorious in Jesus. And if you're not serving, it's not an issue of how many acts of service do I need to do this week to be able to earn heaven. If you're not serving, I can guarantee you you're freezing to death spiritually. It's only by spending time warming others in service that we can overcome. If you really want to have victory in Jesus and you want to overcome... We've got to sacrifice ourselves to Jesus. Perhaps the most shocking part about this whole story is there in verse, uh, beginning at verse 18 where Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Your hands are going to be stretched out. You're going to be crucified. And tradition tells us that's exactly what happened. If you're like me, you're sitting here wondering, why on earth did Jesus tell Peter, oh, by the way, after you spend so many years following me and feeding my sheep, guess what? You're going to get crucified for me. That doesn't seem to be the way to encourage Peter to follow him. We'll talk about that in a few moments. 
But what we can't miss right now is that what Jesus was calling Peter to do was to sacrifice himself for, for Jesus. But the thing about it was that sacrifice wasn't going to begin when somebody finally grabbed his hands and stretched it out on the cross. That sacrifice began when Jesus said to him, follow me. You see, Peter had been utterly confused. He didn't know what was really going on. He didn't know what to make of it. He didn't know what was going to happen with his relationship with Jesus. And so what did he say? He said, I'm going fishing. Why do you think he said, I'm going fishing? Because that's what he knew. That was his life. All of his plans up until meeting Jesus had been about fishing. All of his goals, all of his work had been about fishing. I'm not talking about recreational fishing. That was his job. That was his career. And now what Jesus is saying is, don't go back out to that boat. Follow me. Don't go catching fish. Feed my sheep. And as Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says, we need to learn to be living sacrifices. And as Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 says, we need to be crucified with Jesus. Yet living, but it's no longer us who live, it's Jesus who lives in us. If we can surrender ourselves to Him, sacrifice our goals and our wants, of course that's the problem, isn't it? The problem is we're afraid that if I do fully sacrifice and surrender myself to Jesus, that His plans for me won't be my plans for me. His wants for me won't be my wants for me. His desires for me won't be my desires for me. I mean, I, I want to be a famous author that's read far and wide in books and on blogs and can help people that I never, ever meet, just like John Maxwell and Ken Blanchard and, and so many others. That's, but, but what if that's not Jesus' role for me? What if His role for me is to die in obscurity and only help a few people that I get to know? That's our problem. Surrendering to Jesus means accepting whatever His plans are. The only way we can do that is if we learn to rely on the Lord's strength. Again, we back up to the backstory of this exchange. In verse 3, Peter said, I'm going fishing. I'm going to go back to what I know. I'm going to go back to what I understand. I'm going to go back to what I'm good at. I'm going to go back to what I do. But he fished all night. And as the little kid's song says, caught no fishes. But along comes Jesus. And from the shore he calls out, cast your net on the right side. And when Peter did what Jesus said, the net was full. What lesson is there for Peter? What lesson is there for us? What Peter learned was, I can't even do what I can do without Jesus. I can't even do what I know and what I understand without Jesus. What on earth makes me think I could feed Jesus' sheep or follow Him without Him? 
I've got to learn to rely on God's strength. That's the message Peter had. And that's the message we need to follow. I need to learn to clean up my side of the street. Peter, as was usual for him, got distracted. He looked away from Jesus. And when he did, he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, traditionally known as John. And there in John chapter 21 and verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at table close to him and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about that man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Quit worrying about John, Peter. Whatever my plans are for John, that's between me and John. You do what I told you to do. Does anybody else have to say that to their kids all the time? Quit worrying about your brother. You let me deal with your sister. You do what I said. And that is exactly what Jesus is saying to Peter. You quit worrying about your brother. I'll take care of him. You do what I told you. Now, I understand the Bible teaches that we're supposed to bear one another's burdens and we encourage one another and we rebuke one another. But the thing that we need to understand is that it is so easy for us to be all wrapped up in everybody else. Why is it so easy? Because when I'm busy, wrapped up, and done, I don't have to worry about me. And, of course, because I can find somebody that will cause me to feel like, well, I don't really have that much to work on. And so Jesus says, here's what you need to do. My blessings for him the trials I lay on her, the things that they're going to deal with, that's between me and them. You clean up your side of the street. Follow me. And it doesn't matter how they deal with it and it doesn't matter what they go through. The number one thing you have to do is follow me. That's what Jesus said to Peter. And that is what Jesus is saying to each and every one of us. It's so easy to take everybody else's inventory and forget our own. If we want to overcome and be victorious in Jesus, we've got to clean up our own side of the street. And finally, we just have to remember that in Jesus, we will be victorious. We looked just a moment ago at how Jesus told Peter, hey, I just want to let you know that You're going to follow me and you're going to spend years in my service and you're going to feed my sheep and when it's all said and done, you're going to get crucified. And and we're sitting here thinking, you know, that's not on my top ten list of ways to encourage somebody to follow you. And yet when we consider the backstory, we realize that that is exactly what Peter needed to hear. Because remember in Matthew chapter 26, verses 32-35, Peter said, I'm strong enough to die with you. I'm the go-to guy. I'm the one who can do this. But when put to the test, what did he do? He faltered and failed. And every other wonderful thing he had done in Jesus' service paled in comparison to that failure. Can you imagine where that would put a person? 
from now on, it doesn't matter what good things they've done, they can always remember, but I failed the ultimate test. And every time they mess up again, it's just a reminder. See, I'm just a failure. I'm never going to make it. I'm not going to do it. When Jesus told Peter, one day, someone else will clothe you and take you where you don't want to go and they'll stretch out your hands. He wasn't saying, hey, in the end, your reward is going to be crucifixion. What he was saying is, Peter, here's what I want you to understand. You think you're a failure, but I know you're a success. That promise that you made me a few days ago, you will keep it. Peter, you're going to make it. That's what Jesus was saying. And I know that sounds odd to us, but that's exactly what Peter, Jesus is saying. He's looking at Peter and saying, Peter, you're going to make it. And don't you know that Peter hung on to that for the rest of his life? Because he could remember that no matter how he felt today, the Master said, I'm going to make it. And when he messed up and had that fleeting thought of, I can't do it, why keep trying? He could hang on to that promise. The Master said, I am going to make it. I am going to be victorious. And what I want you to understand this morning is that God has made that exact same promise to you. In Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, here's what God says to you. We know that those who love God, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, who He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Do you understand what God is telling you there? God is telling you that if you love Him, you are going to make it. You may have messed up yesterday, but don't throw your hands in the air and say, I can't do it. God has promised you that you will. You just love Him. Hang on to Him. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Why would I keep working out my salvation with fear and trembling? Because I'm not on my own. When you mess up, why keep trying? Because God is working in you. That's God's promise. Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, you're going to make it. God is looking at you and saying, if you'll just love me, if you'll keep hanging on, you're going to make it. There is victory in Jesus. 
The question is just, are you going to stay in Jesus? And so, when you fumble and falter tomorrow or Tuesday or later this week or maybe this afternoon, instead of saying to yourself, I don't know why I keep trying. Remember Peter. And remember that even Peter had victory in Jesus. And remember God's promise to you that He will conform you to the image of His Son. If you'll just keep loving Him. Don't turn your back. Draw closer.